The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may be triggering and don't necessarily reflect the views of myself or Blue Matter Project. Please note that I'm not a licensed therapist or a doctor, and all opinions of our guests are for informational purposes and should not be considered medical advice. For any questions about your own health, please consult a medical professional. Hey everyone, I'm Elaine and this is the Mindful Matters Podcast. Welcome back. One of the topics I've become really passionate about, especially in recent years, is understanding trauma and trauma healing. So I wanted to bring my guest today, Marina Yanai Triner, on the show. She's a trauma-informed and somatic compassion coach who works with people to go deep into the roots of behavioral patterns, childhood-rooted beliefs, emotions and the unconscious to ultimately create transformation. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of addressing the trauma stored within the body and how a somatic body-based approach can address triggers and support nervous system regulation. I think we can all relate to the feeling of being dysregulated in our nervous system and also to the feeling of being triggered. I think this is a really meaningful topic and Marina has some really great guidance. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. So let's welcome her here on the show. Marina, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you. I'm really thrilled to have you as a guest. And I feel like you and I have very similar journeys in many ways. So let's start there. How and why did you evolve to become a compassionate somatic coach? So I actually started my first business about six or seven years ago, and it was in nutrition coaching. So I was really interested in plant-based diets and helping people transition. So I started doing that and coaching, and that's where I got really, really stuck. I got stuck in that business. I got stuck in making money, and I just felt stuck in life. Like I had a vision of it, but it wasn't quite clicking. And so I started to, I was, you know, studying marketing like crazy. And then I realized it really wasn't about that. And I started working with my first coach who basically said the sentence that is really powerful. And she said, your business is a trauma response. Mm. And I was like, what? <laughs> what, what? What's that? You know, but it really clicked for me. It, on a body level like I, I didn't understand it mentally but it was like whoa that that really makes sense to me and so then I started you know different coaching programs and and learning different things and another coach of mine happened to be uh, in the past a somatic therapist and she also noticed that I was very stuck and uh, you know she, she noticed that I'm smart and capable and like doing all the right things but just really, really stuck. And so she said, why don't you just sit with your body? And I was like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> She's like, just, you know, instead of trying to figure it out, why don't you sit and just be with your body and your your sensations and your emotions? And, uh, and I had no idea <laughs> what she was talking about because at that point I've lived my whole life from the neck up. So that was really like a pivotal moment. And so I started to explore and just really be with my body, explore my sensations, my emotions, and 
um, started working with a somatic experiencing therapist and I was like I love this this is magic I want to do this and so slowly started to shift my practice from nutrition to this work yeah that that was actually how I I started with nutrition as well and I was really interested in the physical you know healing of the body through nutrients and then I started to notice that my mind was wandering to um, you know more of the understanding of the nervous system. And then when I started working with clients, I noticed that, you know, we would talk about nutrition, but then we would always go back to, you know, early traumas or nervous system regulation. And it and it seemed like sustainable change didn't, you know, didn't come from just changing the diet. It came from understanding the nervous system. Can you relate to that? So much, and that's so cool. I love how much we have in common. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, absolutely. You know, also, like, I remember so many conversations with clients about their past trauma because it's like finally they found a safe space to talk about the real stuff, you know, because like anyone can find recipes online and meal plans and all these things, but then you know, people don't stick to it. And then you're like, are they lazy? Are they stupid? No, no one's lazy or stupid. At least that's what I believe. Um, something's going on here. There's something deep here. And so it's funny because those are the people that always gravitated to me. Really, I mean, I remember so many powerful conversations that were actually my favorite were not about food, but they were about these experiences that people had in childhood or or later in their life. Yeah, absolutely. That that was my experience as well. And you know, we have a lot of listeners in our audience who are interested in trauma and trauma healing. Uh, some of our most listened to episodes on the podcast are about trauma. So I'm really curious, like let's let's jump into this topic of trauma. What would you say are some foundational principles of healing from trauma? So I kind of divided into almost like two categories one is like you said the nervous system and i find that in the somatic world where we talk about you know trauma is not in your head it's of course you develop beliefs when you experience trauma but really the foundation and the root is in your body in the somatic world i find so far really really focuses on sensations which i love and is super helpful and i find that focusing there is regulating the nervous system uh, which we can talk more about what that actually means if, if you think it's relevant but then the other piece that's super important is the emotions so to me like we regulate the nervous system so that we can feel because it's very hard to feel our emotions when we are in fight or flight or when we feel freeze, when we feel shut down. It's very hard to access our emotions because in those states we're in survival mode. So when we're in survival mode, when there's a, a threat or a danger, we're not going to pause and feel our emotions. But that's exactly what we need to do in order to heal past trauma, past wounding. And so when we actually pause to feel our emotions, we're basically saying, I am safe now. I went through this thing. It was really scary and threatening. And I felt like I didn't, I, I felt trapped essentially. Like I, there was nothing I could do, 
but now I'm safe and now I can actually pro process it. And we can process it on a cognitive level and that's also for sure important. Um, and I do that with my clients too. But if we don't do it on the emotional level, I don't believe that we truly can heal. What I find so interesting is how our ability to enjoy the world is related to how regulated we are. So like you were saying, when we feel under threat, it's really challenging to be simultaneously present and curious. I remember once I was in India in one of the most beautiful, serene places. It was uh, an incredible tea plantation in the south of India. And at that time, I was going through a relationship breakup. And it was so challenging for me to enjoy it, to fully experience it. When I look back, it's such a shame. I feel like I completely missed out. Um, at the time, I didn't know anything about the nervous system. I just knew that, you know, I was miserable. Um, so my question for you is, you know, what are some signs of nervous system dysregulation? And then more importantly, how can we recalibrate and shift into a more regulated state? I love that story you just shared because it just resonates so much. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say because I'm in Costa Rica right now and it's been crazy. Like the whole experience here for the last month and a half or so has been so 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 tough and you know having this knowledge I know I don't feel safe even though I am totally safe mm -hmm. but I don't feel safe and so like I'm looking and it's so beautiful but it, it almost like doesn't enter you it's it's like mm -hmm. there's there's something there's like a block that's just like nope you you don't get to go in I don't get to feel the beauty of this um, so dysregulation, it's essentially, if, I, if you close your eyes and I really ask you, do you feel a sense of threat? If you know your body well, you'll say yes, even though there isn't one. Um, because, and it's funny that we call it dysregulation because essentially we, we talk about the three states of the nervous system. The first one is ventral, which is where we're present, we're grounded. Um, and we can, you know, still feel sad or angry or whatever, but we just feel very present to our whole experience and to everything that's going on. The second one, and I, and I like to explain this in terms of like, there is a burglar coming into your house. You're sitting on the couch, you're happy and you're calm, you're watching TV. Naturally, you become anxious, which is a good thing because you want to either fight or flee. So let's, so that is the second state, the sympathetic activation, which is a great thing again. So let's say you are trying to fight or flee and you see that, you know, this burglar has a massive weapon and you have nowhere to run. This is where you would go into shutdown. So you would go into collapse, you would feel numb, maybe you would dissociate, like literally you're not present to what's happening. Um, and that's basically what's considered dysregulation when there's no threat. Because when there's a threat, this is a brilliant mechanism. But when there's no actual you know, threat or there isn't danger, it's still the same to our body. Like I posted the other day and I got some criticism about it, but that's okay. <laughs> because I firmly stand behind this. That if there's a burglar or there's someone trying to kill you, and you get a rejection text and you're very sensitive to rejection in your body it's pretty much the same in terms of feeling the threat and feeling unsafe and obviously the text is not a threat to your life but it feels that way because of past trauma so you might feel a racing heart 
you might feel shallow breath, your temperature might change, you might feel a lot of constriction in your body, you might feel really sleepy and collapsed and out of it and like super, super tired. You might feel this urge to like run, like a, a boost of intense energy. Um, I know that for me, like in Costa Rica, I've felt almost like I'm in another world in my body, like I'm not quite feeling my body. I'm just kind of like a few inches above the, the experience of reality. And I'm very familiar with that experience so I can really understand it and notice it that I don't feel quite safe. And in that, it's like almost, you know, this everything that you're looking at doesn't look as beautiful. It doesn't look like there's no aliveness in your body, essentially. You just feel kind of like shut down and, and withdrawn. Mm-hmm. And being able to regulate our emotions and know how to self-soothe when we're triggered, I think that's the that is a really important skill and something I feel that we don't learn enough about. Um, you've actually created a master class called Treasures in the Trigger, which I love the name, by the way. Uh, talk to us about how we can find treasure in the trigger and then use those triggers for growth. Yeah, so I can actually give a great example from my own life. I think that triggers can be so difficult. And in the moment, we're like, oh, I wish this went away. Um, because, yeah, they're tough. They're uncomfortable. And at the same time, they can really lead us back to the trauma that is unhealed. And this trauma that's unhealed, it's always there. It's not like it's only coming out when we're super, super triggered. It's coming out all the time. It's coming out, maybe we have a little more anxiety, maybe we're a little more shut down. Like it's always actually present, but when we're actually triggered, that's where we can put it together. So when we moved here, my partner from his own stuff was a little bit more reactive than usual. He's usually like super chill and calm. And so he was just like a little on edge and just a little more reactive than usual. And every time that would happen over like silly things and he would apologize, I would just go into this massive shutdown for hours. And at first, you know, as humans, we want to blame other people. So at first I was like, okay, he's having a problem. This is all his fault and he needs to fix it. And so then I started to notice like, this is very strange because I am really overreacting. Um, because to me, I could sense like, I feel so incredibly threatened. And so when we're triggered, there is a mismatch between the, the experience and our reaction. We, we basically really, really, really overreact. And so that has revealed this huge piece of my life that I honestly, I kind of knew cognitively and I won't really go into it just because it's like family stuff, but um, I knew it cognitively, I knew about it, but I never really felt it. I never really healed it. I never really allowed myself to go through it. And now that's what I've been doing, mm -hmm. <laughs> which has been, of course, challenging, but it's, you know, it's like another layer of healing 
that's coming through. So yes, it is a huge skill. And even though I know all the tools, it doesn't make it super easy. It just makes it like, at least I understand what's happening. I feel grateful for it even inside the experience. And I know that I'm gonna come out on the other side and I'm gonna have like months of bliss. This is, this is life. You have, a you have massive triggers, it's really hard. You heal through them and then you have months of massive bliss. And then you have another moment of that. That's kind of how I see our, our journey on this planet. And I think, you know, something that I was thinking about just now uh, when you were talking about healing from trauma is like, do you think that we can fully heal from a trauma? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't believe that anyone can be fully healed. I mean, I believe that as we do this work, we become a lot less triggered. So even now I'm noticing whenever my partner is reactive, the time that I'm shut down is much, uh, much less. And I notice it and I'm like, okay, I know what's happening. This is what I need to do. Here's how I can meet myself right now. Okay, I know, I know what to do. And I also spend less time in, inside that trigger and I come back to being present quicker. But we're always gonna have, I mean, this is what I believe. I was actually talking about this with my partner the other day. I really believe that we're always going to have kind of the same ways of being but they're just going to be less, mm -hmm. less intense. Yeah, if we're open to it, I guess. And if we're willing to explore solutions to manage those triggers. Um, and I often think about this, you know, I a lot of nowadays, I think there's so many messages about self-love and finding this, you know, unicorn of self-love within yourself. And um, I think that term self-love, we think of it in terms of, you know, bubble baths and candles and chocolate. And of course, there's nothing wrong with those things. It's how we take time to be with ourselves. But self-love, I've come to understand, is really about developing this sort of admiration, uh, reverence and respect for ourselves. And I think that people really want to know how they can cultivate this inner self-love. And there's this belief that, you know, if we travel to beautiful mountaintops like in Costa Rica or in India, that we've reached the self-love. But really, it comes down to being able to access these uh, coping mechanisms. Would you, would you say that's true? Yes, I love that perspective. And I felt frustrated. I have a lot of frustrations with the self-development industry. Yeah. And this is one of them. Um, and I come from the self-development world. So I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, and I think it has some great insights. And like you said, that idea of bubble bath. Like if I am really seeing everything so negatively, if I have my negative glasses on, a bubble bath is not going to change that exactly. because it, it's my nervous system, it's my body, it's something, something feels unsafe. So that really is the most compassionate thing to do is looking at, well, why do I feel unsafe? What's coming up? What does this remind me of? What's happening in my body? 
what do I notice? I feel really shut down. And it's exactly those coping mechanisms. Like I can tell you, I have been on my phone probably twice as much since coming here. Um, and I'm totally aware of it. Like yeah. numbing, numbing, numbing. Yeah. And and it's okay, you know, because because sometimes, you know, that's kind of part of the story is we need those things too. We need to zone out on TV or whatever, whatever we do. We can't just always be noticing our triggers and our body and doing healing work. Um, but it's just noticing that and being really compassionate and also noticing the parts of us that are like, oh, why am I doing this? This sucks. Like, I should just have a perfect morning routine. Um, but I don't. This is the reality. So it's like, where can you stop judging that and really see it as you feel unsafe and actually treat yourself like you would a little child that feels unsafe and you want to comfort that child. Yeah. I can hear the listener thinking, okay, I know I need more self-compassion. How do I do that? What does self-compassion look like? Okay. Well, I can tell you that I come from a very critical childhood. Um, the other day I was like watching, you know, one of those shows, The Voice, I don't know, whatever. It's, it's one in Israel that my partner and I love watching. And um, this girl like didn't make it and her parents were like, it's okay, you tried. And I was like laughing because my parents would never say that because they were also, you know, they also grew up with a lot of criticism. So they would just be like, oh, you should have tried harder or something. And that voice really, you know, of course they did it with the good intentions for me to be excellent at everything I do. Um, and that voice really, really stayed with me. So I have done a lot of work on this and I highly recommend the work of Kristen Neff from the Mindful Self-Compassion. Uh, there's a workbook that I love. I send it to a lot of my clients. It's really, really good. And it really walks you through different exercises. For example, you know, the part of you that's really critical and negative, like let's say you're like, I can't believe I procrastinated. I can't, this is ridiculous, what's wrong with me, all of that kind of attitude. Notice that as a part in your body and actually start to see if you can apply to it the same sensations and emotions as you would to like a little puppy or a little child. And it might be really awkward at first mm -hmm. <laughs> as you pra it's a practice self-compassion is really a practice and it's not you know i'm not perfect like sometimes i catch myself being critical nothing like in the past but um of course it's it's just a practice so you just practice that really seeing first of all the knowledge that yes procrastination is actually the most vulnerable part of you wanting to hide so it's like you at three, five, seven years old, whatever it may be, feeling sad, feeling lonely, feeling whatever it is. Um, and so we can really learn to dialogue with that part of us and really love it. Like put a picture of yourself when you're little above your bed and start to look at it as you look at your nieces, your kids. You know, a lot of my clients have kids and it makes it so much easier to work with them because they love their kids. And when I'm like, I want you to look at that picture and think of your kid, it's a it's a very quick switch. Yeah, I like that. My friend and I, we were talking about this recently, just how when we're so overwhelmed, 
there's this like shut down and freeze where we just kind of like stare off into space and it was it's total procrastination mode <laughs> but mm-hmm. what can we do to shift our nervous system in those moments where we feel like we're in a free state so in those moments we really need to come back to safety and if you try to go into your mind and start to do kind of thought work or pay attention to your thoughts like all of that is something to do when you are regulated so put that aside just (laughs) notice i feel really 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 unsafe that's what's happening to me. So I recommend things like going into water if that feels good to you and just like being, putting your body in water, putting your feet on the ground, feeling your feet supported, asking someone for a hug. And actually when you do these things, don't just think about them, but actually notice your body, like what's happening. Can you soften a little bit? Can you wrap yourself up in a blanket and soften into that? So it's really like, imagine someone just had a car accident. How would you treat them after that? Would you be like, okay, it's time to go. Like, get up, let's do things. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, Probably, you know, just being like, oh, wow, that was intense. That was a lot. Are you okay? How do you feel? Let me just hug you. Let's sit here. Let's be quiet together. And that's kind of what you want to do to your to your body. Like really take your time, slow things down, start to notice that you are safe. And slowly, you know, really the key is once you can actually feel your body, the key is to make that connection to what just triggered you and process it emotionally and that takes time you know I've been crying like almost every single day here uh, which has been such a gift because crying is really healing we have stress hormones that come out with the tears so that's really like a way to to process whatever trauma caused you to be triggered and to go into freeze right yeah it's but returning back to the body I find that's a really helpful I, I will get up and do like a handstand in my apartment. <laughs> I will mm. um, I will go for a walk. I'll try and um, I like the what you said there about getting into water. I find that really helps taking a shower. Um, mm-hmm. definitely really helps. this this idea of the body, the body kind of storing trauma and the body holding a lot of implicit memory. Can you explain what a body forward approach actually means? Yeah, it's really understanding that we store trauma in our body. We have the vagus nerve, which is the largest cranial nerve, and it goes all the way from the base of the brain into different organs in our body. And so when we experience a trauma, there's almost like this breaking off between our mind and our body. And all of that gets stored in our sensations, our emotions. There's a very beautiful also spiritual understanding of this that that goes along with the science, which is, you know, when, when you are in a threatening situation, a lot of energy comes up. And that energy is meant to help you survive, to run away or hide or fight. And when you cannot take advantage of that energy, 
either because you know you physically aren't able to or emotionally like you're under resourced meaning you don't have support you don't have someone to tell you that was wrong you don't have someone to go talk to and you also inside yourself don't know what to do with all the emotion then all of that energy, that really intense survival energy, if you just watch animals in the wild, how they use survival energy to run or, or fight, that's the energy that you have, right? It's, it's incredible. All of that energy gets trapped in your body. And that's why, you know, when I started doing this work with clients, I had to be super careful. I feel pretty damn confident about it now, but... When someone's in freeze, we have to be careful because once it starts to defrost, a lot of times there is a lot of survival energy under there. And if we don't know how to work with it, it can literally come out so fast that they go back into freeze. So we have to know how to really go slow and release that energy slowly. And there's different ways. Some people shake a little bit. Some people say, oh my God, oh, I really want to run. I feel this impulse that I want to run. You know, my clients will say that and I will feel that too. And then I'll say, good, I want you to imagine yourself. You're running, you're running, you're running. Keep seeing that, keep going. Some people feel rage come up and it's like, okay, do you want to be a pillow right now? So it's like really releasing that energy that was stored and trapped yep. in their body so that they can then be like okay whew, now I'm safe now now I'm back to being regulated yeah and it's such a practice I find it and and part of the self-compassion is like okay I wasn't able to <laughs> I wasn't able to access that now but I'll try next time and just continuing that practice and knowing that uh, it takes time to develop would you say so as well absolutely it's you know, when, when I started doing this work myself, I was asleep within 10 minutes of going into my body because there was just so much trauma there. And so I had to go really, really slow and I had a very patient therapist. And when I started to notice how it's working and, and how to do this work, which I love also to teach my clients how to do this on their own, um, I started to be able to notice my body really well, like, oh, I'm in a freeze right now. Okay, I have all these tools. I ground myself first. Then I notice my impulses. I let them out. Then I notice my emotions. So it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's a practice. It's never super easy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it feels more doable, I would say, the more you practice, just like anything, just like going to the gym. Yeah, and I love that you you talk about somatic practices in relation to setting boundaries. I thought that was really interesting. I noticed a, a post actually on your Instagram feed. How do you relate the two, these somatic practices and how we can set more embodied boundaries? I find that a lot of people talk about boundaries in like behavioral things, like just say no, just, you know, X, Y, Z. And we can't that's the thing that the reason that we go into these responses of people pleasing is trauma so it's the same thing of like just be positive why are you in such a bad mood mm -hmm. <laughs> so like that doesn't work right we all know that if you're in a bad mood and i tell you well just be positive like why can't you just be positive it's not gonna work so 
it's the same with people pleasing it this is the fawn response mm-hmm. um and it, it developed because probably most likely as a child you were in a situation where you had needs and you had emotions and you had desires and you could not express them and your safety depended on you being compliant Mm -hmm. so now when you're faced with a conflict i went through this with a client of mine it was so brilliant with at work she had the situation and she's like i don't get it and so we went through it and we really slowed it down and i was like okay i want you to imagine you see this person you're coming closer coming closer what's happening in your body closer closer boom my dad you know so it's it's just like it it is it's so clear when we do it through the body because it's like, oh, this is exactly how I felt my entire childhood, of course. Mm-hmm. So working through that requires going into the body. We can't make this a mental exercise of, you know, just tell them X, Y, Z. Just have this kind of conversation that will never work when we feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think that's so profound and so important. This is this is the real work. This is the... Uh, the important work that I feel like we need to be doing on ourselves. Um, Before we wrap today, Marina, we need to talk about your five-month transformational healing program called Heal Flow. Tell us more about this program. It is a group program and it's all about community because a huge in my opinion, part of healing is like working with practitioners. It's amazing, but then having a community of people like-minded and also that you can talk to you know people who can understand when you say i'm really really triggered today um most people don't speak that language so i find that it's just so amazing to have those conversations and to hear on the other side me too you know it's normal you're normal i think when we normalize these things it's like this huge relief that's one part of it and also hope you know of i went through that and this is what i did etc so this program is about that it's about the community piece education on the nervous system and emotional healing and then also practicing so lots and lots of practices and using the group as a way to actually build trust and safety and all of these capacities that we kind of lose through going through a trauma um so yeah we start september 4th i'm super excited for it it's mostly live and then there's also um, recorded aspects that participants get and of course all the sessions are also recorded Amazing. I love it. We're going to have links in the show notes for people to check it out, to read more up on the program. Marina, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for making the time to be here today. Thank you. This was a wonderful conversation. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you'll join us next time. Mindful Matters is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Special thanks to Karen Zorzi, our editor, Tawny Stoiber for the artwork, and our theme music by Bellwoods. If you can, please leave us a review. It helps others discover the show, and we really appreciate it. Let's keep these conversations going over at Blue Matter Project. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. I will stand near and